when um, we permit the genuine love of Christ to wash over us, we recognize the power of the cross, and we let that come together with the testimony that he has given us for what he has done in our lives, a testimony that he continues to build day after day after day as he walks us through life's deepest valleys and highest mountains. His perfect love in us becomes more and more real to us. And then we're able, we're able to be broken to a point where we can say, God, we need nothing else from you. You have provided us for everything, with everything, through the person of Jesus Christ. What an amazing truth. Church, because of the cross, we have nothing else we need from our Lord and Savior because he's given us everything in him. Let's pray. Lord, I, um, with my brothers and sisters here, I think about the magnificence of your genuine love. This love, Lord, that comes to, to people that are wretched in need of a Savior. And yet, Lord, you look down from heaven and you determined that we needed to experience your love. Thank you, God for making a way for us to experience you. Thank you, God, for the cross of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for opening the eyes of your church to see your magnificent love through the cross. Now, Lord, as we open your word together, your very word that declares the magnificence of who you are, your great love for us, the cross, everything in it pointing to you, Jesus, our foundation. I pray, God, that you would do the speaking. I pray, God, that you would soften hearts, convict hearts, comfort hearts, drive hearts closer and closer to you, opening us, Lord, to be expressors of your genuine love. Pour yourself out on us today, we pray, and it's in Jesus, your mighty name we pray. Amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. So here we are. We're about ready to... um, conclude a series that began back in the beginning of September. Um, As we walk through, what are the things that make Summit Church what it is? That's our desire. You you think about our name, Summit. It's our desire to continue to take one step after the other as we move closer and further toward um, a fuller expression of who Jesus Christ is in our lives. We want to look like him, and so we continue to make every step forward. And we have these things, these distinctives that determine what Summit Church is. And so if these are evident in your life, well, then you are Summit Church because these are things that we go after. And I wonder right now, we started in September, and, um, and I'll, I'll confess, when we started this, I was committed every Tuesday morning at staff meeting to make sure the staff and I, we walked through what, our, what makes Summit Church what it is. And so if I were to quiz you right now, if I were to quiz the staff, I wonder if they would actually know that this is who we are. And I'm nervous right now because if you'll remember maybe a month ago, I kind of poked fun at, at Jasper as he was preaching. I don't remember what the sermon was, but I, he, didn't, he forgot what the fruits of the Spirit were. And uh, so now I'm kind of afraid to walk you through this because I might not even know what we are as I stand up here. And so a moment of nerves has come upon me. What is the mission of Summit Church? It's to glorify God by making disciples who exalt 
Jesus Christ. If that's your mission, you're well on your way to being Summit Church. And then we have all these pillars that rest on the firm foundation, a foundation that cannot be shaken, which is a beach full of sand, right? It is the solid rock of the Word of God, Jesus Christ. And we call it the Word, Jesus Christ, the Word of God, because it's about us passionately pursuing relationship with the person of, person of Jesus Christ. We don't just get stuck in the study of, the doctrine of, the person of Jesus Christ. We passionately pursue relationship with Him. And as we passionately pursue relationship with the one who is the greatest expressor of genuine love of all time, we also must not just simply get stuck in the relational piece, we have to also understand what the Word of God says about who he is and determines how we are to be living for him. They go together. You cannot separate them. That's our foundation. And then we, with our firm foundation fixed, understanding exactly where the Lord of God, or the, the, where God is taking us, um, we have these pillars that we believe are critical and crucial for the life of every believer. And so authentic worship. We want to make sure our worship is centered and appropriate and given to the right one. It has nothing to do with us. It has everything to us with ascribing him worth and glory, authentic worship. And then the believer in Jesus Christ has to be about fervent prayer. So I wonder how your prayer life has been over the last month or six weeks or two months or so. Fervent prayer, as you passionately pursue relationship with Jesus Christ and you desire to do the things that he has for you to do, it has to be consistently and constantly bathed in fervent prayer. Fervent prayer because you desire to speak with and to hear from God himself. So after fervent prayer, I believe, comes personal evangelism. And what would personal evangelism be without prayer? without understanding who we authentically worship and going to him in prayer on behalf of those in our lives that are lost. Um, Personal evangelism. Personal evangelism because it's about you. It's not you waiting on the church to provide an opportunity for you to do some event in downtown wherever. This is you latching on to the calling that God has placed on your heart to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those that he has placed in your lives, from your friends to your kids to your coworkers and everyone that he would surround you with. Personal evangelism. And then, last week, we're all fired up about spiritual growth. Because if we don't have authentic worship, if we don't know who we're worshiping, we're not going to know how to grow in our relationship with the Lord, in our understanding of what He expects from us. And if we're not fervent in our prayer, going after the one who has brought us into relationship with Him, how can we expect to grow spiritually in taking on the likeness of Christ? And then spiritual growth would also demand that we are ones who are concerned about the lost in our lives. Spiritual growth. And that brings us today. Today is, I don't know how to describe it. Let's just say we took all of that that was just said and we bind it all together with this stuff called genuine love. I am very intimidated by the prospect of preaching on the genuine love of Christ And just as he is genuine in his love, perfect in absolutely every way, he has an expectation that we also 
would be genuine in our expression of love. So that's where we are today. So let's get into this. I want to begin by asking you this question. What makes you feel insignificant? What makes you feel insignificant? I think back to times on the kickball field in elementary school, the ones who felt most insignificant were the ones that were picked last. When I think into junior high, when you had to start trying out for athletic teams, the ones who felt insignificant were the ones that didn't make the team they got cut. I'm not even sure that happens anymore, does it? Seems like everybody makes the team these days. Everyone needs to feel significant, isn't that right? We're coming to that. Last week I shared with you, I had taught myself that I was not very smart, made me feel insignificant because I wasn't very smart, at least I thought that. We feel insignificant because of what other people think of us. When they think less of us, we are concerned with what they think. I've heard people say, I just don't feel like I have a say. And when someone says, I don't feel like I have a say, what they're saying is, I feel insignificant in this particular setting that I'm speaking of. Maybe you're someone who has past abuse. Maybe you're someone who in your past you see failure after failure after failure. Maybe you're someone that grew up with perfect, excuse me, perfect, perfectionistic parents that were more critical about what you missed and seldom ever praised you for what you got right. You know what it is that makes you feel insignificant. So, if you're struggling right now to feel insignificant, let me help. Take a look at this picture. Kaden and I were talking last week about um, something he's learning in his astronomy class. And uh, there, are, there are very few handful of individuals, astronauts, that have been able to see the perspective of the earth from the moon's surface or actually from beyond, let's say, um, the distance that the International Space Station would um, be around the earth. And so, so the story goes, the account goes from everyone that has been able to see earth from this perspective. If you hold, now, it doesn't work here, but each one of them would say, if you hold your thumb up, you're able to cover the entire planet of earth. And every one of them has said they come back completely. Yeah, kids, go ahead. Does it work? Are you able to do that? Can you cover it? They were undone. Each astronaut spoke of being significantly changed in their person because when they look back and they're able to see the earth from this perspective, considering that that's one planet in a solar system that's in a galaxy that's in and among countless galaxies that spread across the entirety of the universe, they were beginning to see we are smaller than we think. And we don't matter as much as we think we do. Considering biblical chronology, the earth is somewhere around 6,000 years old. 2,000 years from Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, to Abraham the first of Israel, and then from Abraham to Jesus, it's another 2,000 years, and then from 2,000 years until today, 6,000 years, somewhere in the neighborhood of approximately 117 billion people have lived on that planet over 6,000 years. 
And if you're an astronaut right now and you're standing there and you're looking at that, you're like, if I count 6,000 years of life on that and I am able to, and I am able to laser point straight through the Earth's atmosphere and find the spot on the continent of that planet and enter into the state in which I reside and go to Summit Church in West Olive and able to see me there, 117 billion people, I begin to feel, and I wonder if you do too, how absolutely small and insignificant we are. King David said this in Psalm chapter 8. Now, this is King David, someone that probably meant something a little more than we would think we are here today. He said this, when I look into your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in their place, who am I that you would be mindful of me? Who am I? 117 billion people, 6,000 years, that in the midst of an entire universe that you created, who am I that you are mindful of me? Hey, what makes you feel significant? Enough of that, right? So if we haven't been reduced enough, it's time to think about what makes us feel significant. Hey, listen, you matter. You matter to God. Listen to what I, I Googled. I Googled, I am feeling insignificant. And the first thing that came up was a, an 800 number to call to speak with someone about how to deal with my insignificance. And the second was something that, listen, if you go back to last week, it's the hollow and deceptive philosophies that are based on human tradition, the things that man drums up, and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. So this is what man would have to say when you're feeling insignificant. Bring yourself significance by being kind to yourself. Everything that I'm going to read is dependent on what you do to bring yourself significance, to make yourself significant. Be kind to yourself. Practice gratitude. I mean, that's a good thing. We're told to be thankful. Practice gratitude. But it's dependent on you expressing gratitude to determine that you are significant. Avoid, listen to this one, avoid what provokes, avoid what provokes poor self-image and poor self-esteem. How are you going to do that? Life is full of that kind of stuff. Telling you you're insignificant. Practice forgiveness even forgiving yourself. I want to be clear about something. It's impossible for you to owe yourself anything. You can't be indebted to yourself. You can't borrow from yourself at $10,000 and then turn around and pay yourself back. You just can't do it. Practice forgiving yourself. Consider helping others. That's a good one. And here's one that we all know. Hey, just love yourself. Everything that the world has to offer, these hollow and deceptive philosophies to trying to address your insignificance are based on what man has to say in your own human effort. Now listen to this. You ready? Here we go. This is God's answer to your insignificance. Everything is dependent on God. Listen to God's greatness. Do you know, do you not know, have you not heard has it not been told from you from the beginning? This is Isaiah chapter 40. This is Isaiah saying, now listen up. I have something really important to say to you. Has it not been told from you from the foundations of the earth? Look at that picture again. Now listen to this. This is God's perspective. It is he, it is God above who sits 
above the, the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in, and brings princes to nothing, and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Praise God for that. I think about the rulers that, that exist today. I love that our God is actually in charge of everything that happens to them. I mean, I need to be careful here because I'm supposed to be speaking on genuine love, and that's the justice coming out of me. So, you know, we're going to learn right now that we're supposed to be genuine in our love with brotherly affection. So I've probably crossed a bound there. But nonetheless, our God is the one who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth earth emptiness. I I have a group of people, you know this, who pray for me. And uh, when I ask those two questions, what makes you feel significant and what makes you feel insignificant, one guy happens to be in my small group. He said, God. God makes me feel insignificant when I consider he is the one that looks down on the earth and sees us as grasshoppers. But he's also the one that brings us significance. Listen to this. God in all his greatness, he looks down on earth, he stretched out the heavens like a curtains, and he spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He sees us, the inhabitants of the earth, as grasshoppers, and this is what he says. Isaiah chapter 41 says, I took you. He says, I took you from the ends of the earth. From the ends of the earth. He says, I took you from the ends of the earth, from the farthest corners of the earth. I called to you. 6,000 years, in all of the universe, the earth set in its place. He drills in 117 billion people. He sees you sitting in this church, and he says this, I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners, I called to you. And he says, I have chosen you. He says, I have chosen you to be my servant. You know what? It doesn't matter what this world thinks about you. It doesn't matter what you think about you. The only thing that truly matters as it relates to who's thinking what about who is what God thinks about you, and He chose you. If you want to feel significant, know that God adores you, and you can say right now, I am too broken, I'm too messy. The things I've done in my past, listen, None of that matters. The only thing that matters, brother and sister in Christ, is that God chooses to be in relationship with you because he adores you. He loves you with such an incredible and God-driven, God-sized love. We spend our entire lives trying to figure out what that looks like. John, 1 John chapter 4 says this, God made a way for us in this In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. This is what love is, church. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God adores us so much that he had determined to send his own son to serve as the sacrifice so that you and I could come into relationship with him and experience this eternally God-sized love. Now think about the sacrifice. Think about the sacrifice. You have God the Father. If you're a parent, 
you can understand this one. He sends his son. It's the will of God the Father, driven by the love that he has for those that he has chosen to be his own. He has said, son, I need you to go and offer yourself as a sacrifice. I'm going to send you to sinful men who are going to abuse you. This is the will of God the Father to sacrifice his only son so that we could experience his love. The will of the son was to humble himself, Jesus, humble himself before the will of God the Father and say, yes, Father, I will do this. I will lay my life down. I will subject myself to the mistreatment of mankind. I will go to the cross so that those that we love dearly can be in relationship with us. I will do it. So the will of the Son was to do the will of the Father. And then we know from John chapter 14 and Ephesians chapter 1 this. Once Pentecost came, the moment where God poured himself out on mankind through his Holy Spirit, he comes now and he dwells in the hearts of every person that he calls his own. He chose you before the foundation of the world to insert himself into your life. And this is one of the most humbling things to me that brings me such a higher level of understanding of his love for me. In my flesh, this perfect, righteous, and holy God through his Holy Spirit continues to bear with me every day, even as I act out in the flesh and sin. What an incredible act of love. So we have this gospel of Jesus Christ that has provided for us an entrance into this magnificent world. His kingdom that this book declares. We have the pure spiritual milk of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the cross, and it opens a door for us to experience a whole banquet full of magnificence that we are able to experience because of our loving God. So what do we do with our God-given significance? So now that we understand we are significant in his eyes, the only one that matters, so what do we do with that? We find this group of religious leaders in Mark chapter 9. They're fighting over whatever the resurrection was supposed to mean to them. And they turn to Jesus and they say, so Jesus, tell us, what's the biggest, what's the most important commandment? And this is what he says to them. He says, he says, The most important is this. He says, hear, O Israel. It's time to listen up. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's the greatest commandment, to love the the Lord your God with absolutely every ounce of your being must be genuine. That's not always easy, is it? Not always easy. But that's what we're supposed to do. And the second is like it. Verse 31 says, And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment that is greater than these, to love God and to love others. What do we do because of our significance? Because God loves us. We are supposed to love him in return and love our brother and sister in Christ and those that he has placed us in proximity with. How do we love God? By pursuing Him, by pursuing relationship with Him. How do we love God? By doing what He tells us to do. How do we love others? That brings us to our final pillar. Genuine love. You matter. You matter. You matter because God chose you. Before the foundations of the world, He looked and He said, you matter to me. So it's time to act like we matter. 
You matter, so act like it. Genuine love. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. That's our pillar. That's the verse we go to, and this is what it says. Genuine love, or let, excuse me, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Our love is to be genuine. This is what it means. It's not to be done with hypocrisy. It doesn't mean I do it and I don't mean it. It means you do it and you mean it. That's what genuine means. Genuine means this, that it's real, that it's authentic. Our love is to be genuine and it's to be done with brotherly affection, which means you actually want to love those who are in your life. That's not always easy, is it? But it's supposed to be done with brotherly affection, wanting. This means you look past faults, shortcomings, mistreatments, and you love because Christ has loved you in spite of the way you are treated, in spite of their faults or shortcomings. Love is to be genuine. It's to be done with brotherly affection. And we've thrown this word around love a lot already this morning. So I want to I take just a moment and talk about what actually is love. Love is not a feeling. It's not a feeling yet. The act of loving I want to make this point, is to be done with affection. That's what makes it genuine, is when we love with affection, when we actually have an affectionate relationship with someone. That makes our love toward that person much more genuine because it's driven by our affection for them. It's not a feeling, yet it's accompanied to be accompanied with brotherly affection. And so, real simply put, what, what is the answer to the, to the question, what actually is love? The answer is this, God is love. Simple answer for a simple man. God is the one who is love. 1 John chapter 4 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 8 says, Anyone Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So, what is love? God is love. Well, how do we know what that looks like? That's a really good question. If God is love, what does God look like in terms of love? Do you know where I'm going to ask you to turn? Take a moment now with me, if you will, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to spend a few moments, a few minutes, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If God is love, what does love look like? What does God look like? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you know if you've been to any wedding, almost any wedding, you will have heard this passage read. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. As you're turning there, I'm going to begin to read. If God is love, this is what it looks like. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. I want to pause for a moment. Imagine now God being God without love. 
speaking in the tongues of men and of angels. Love is more important than eloquence and cleverness with words. God has given us his word. Now imagine if he gave it to, that to us without love. I wonder what he would look like. I wonder what you look like when what I look like, what we look like when we are tempted to impress others with words of eloquence, with words of influence, and we do it without love. What does that person look like? Let's say you have all prophetic powers. You're able to look into the past and declare what happened. You're able to look to today and declare what's happening today, and you even know what's going to happen in the future, and you have the ability to declare all of those things. You understand all mysteries and all knowledge. Nothing is new to you because you know everything. And you have such incredible faith that you and powers that you're even able to move mountains, yet you don't have love. What does your life look like at that point? I can't imagine. I can't imagine. If you are the most generous individual and you deliver yourself up to be burned, Paul tells us if we do this without love, we gain nothing. You and I both know someone that committed the ultimate act of love, right? He gave away all he had and he delivered himself up, not to be burned, but to be hung on a cross. And he did it because he loved. Look at verse 4. Love is bigger than dealing with generosity and self-sacrifice. This is what it is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not arrogant. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and it endures all things. This is what love is. So what does God look like? This is what God looks like. What what does love look like? It looks like God because God is love. Now, overlay your life right now for a moment. How, how are you? Now, we're supposed to, our love is supposed to be genuine, and we're supposed to do it with brotherly affection. I want you to start thinking and identifying someone in your life right now that it's really, really hard to be genuinely affectionate toward. At the same time, you're still commanded to be genuine in your love toward this individual. Now our prayer should be right now, whoever that person is that comes to your mind, and you know what, it can shift and alter from, you know, one day to the next, but the individual right now that's hardest for you to be genuinely affectionate toward, you're being commanded to love. Now turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to start at verse 14. What do we do with the genuine love that God has given us the moment he pours himself out into us? He gives us access to his love through his Holy Spirit that continues to remain with us. And he says, I want you to love as I love you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to start at verse 14. And this is what Paul says. He makes this most outrageous statement. He he says, for the love of Christ controls us. Speaking of him and those who are with him. The love of Christ controls us. 
How are you doing with that? How can the Apostle Paul say that the love of Christ controls him? That's outrageous to me. Now think about it. Yes, we have access to the Holy Spirit of God and this genuine love that's inside of us, but how do you do on a day in and day out, especially with the one that is hard to love? How are you doing at letting and permitting the love of Christ control you? How is your patience with that individual? How is your kindness toward that individual? How often do you insist on your own way with that individual? And the list goes on and on. Measure yourself with 1 Corinthians chapter 13. How are you doing at permitting the love of Christ to control you? We are supposed to permit God's love to control us. That's what we're supposed to do. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul says, for the love of Christ controls us, and so we should be doing that. Here's another one. What do we do with this genuine love that God has given to us? We live in light of Christ's sacrifice For the love of Christ controls us, verse 14 goes on to say, because we have concluded this, and if you are a brother or sister in Christ, you have concluded this, that one has died, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. So we are to die to ourselves because of what Christ has done for us. And he died for us that those who live, now that we are in relationship with Christ, would no longer live for him or herself, but would live for him who for your sake and my sake died and was raised again. Permit the love of God to control us and then live in light of Christ's sacrifice. Remember this, church. You were bought with a price. You are not your own. God in his great love gave of himself so that you could be in relationship with him, entering into his kingdom, living like someone that belongs to the kingdom of God. Remember, when you were tempted, if you go back to the individual right now that's absolutely hard for you to love with brotherly affection, how they might mistreat you from time to time, or always it might seem, you remember the one who died for you turned himself over. He didn't need to. He turned himself over to men he knew would abuse him and mistreat him and ultimately hang him on the cross. And as he walked to the cross from the moment they got him till the moment he went to the cross, he didn't say a word. Falsely accused, lied about, mistreated, and he said not a word. Christ being abused by sinful men. And he says this, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. What do we do with genuine love? We permit God's love to control us. We live in light of Christ's sacrifice. And then here's a third one and a fourth. We're going to roll these together because they kind of go together. So the third one is we regard no one according to the flesh. Regard no one according to the flesh. We don't see him that way any longer. And then the fourth is we regard everyone according to the Spirit. Look at verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. No one. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Here's what this means. When you look at people, when you consider the person of Christ, you are no longer using the practical judgments of human reasoning. You have brought into a position where you have been filled with the Holy Spirit, where you're able to look beyond and see everyone according to the Spirit. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a brand new creation. He is a new creation. The old of that person has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Let's put it this way. Every individual in your life, 
every single one is either saved and claimed by the love of Christ and in relationship with him or lost and bound for hell for all of eternity. Every person in your life is that. Think about this now. When you look at someone according to the flesh, when you see them in the flesh, how are you tempted to respond to them? Seeing them in accordance with the flesh and not the spirit means this. You don't look at them with empathy and understanding, knowing that they are broken individuals that need to be pointed to to Jesus Christ. But when you look at them with the through the lens of the Spirit, look at them in, according to the Spirit, seeing them as a new creation, your brotherly affection for that individual begins to change, and you're able to see, I want to treat them in such a way that I'm pointing them to Christ instead of away from Christ. Every action, every word spoken, every look given is either pointing people to Christ or away from Christ. I see someone according to the flesh I am seeing them as a fleshly being, not a person either saved and bound for heaven or lost and bound for hell. Regard no one according to the flesh and regard everyone according to the Spirit. And here's a final one. Be all about forgiveness. All this is from God, verse 18, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and he gave us what? The ministry of reconciliation. That's simply forgiveness. That is, verse 19, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. He did not count their trespasses against them and entrusted to you and to me this message of reconciliation. You cannot... You can't do this. You can't tie someone to their past. You can't do it. That's not forgiveness. That's not reconciliation. What would it be like? Now now go back to your insignificant, the things that make you insignificant. Imagine that God held everything that you were responsible for in those moments of insignificance. He held them against you. There is no forgiveness given. There is no reconciliation. We are not restored and put into right relationship with him. That's the way he wants us to respond with each other, to be declares of forgiveness, to not hold the past of those in our lives against them. Extend to them the same forgiveness that Christ has has extended to you. I know of an individual right now, he made a mess of himself over three years ago, and his, his kids still will have nothing to do with him. They are tying him to his past. He is a better man today because of what happened and they, and they have no idea who this really awesome person is that is their dad. That is not forgiveness. That is not reconciliation. They remain unreconciled. And God says this of us, take this message of reconciliation as I have extended it to you, and I want you to extend it to others. You matter, church. You matter because God has chosen to pour his love out on you. And so we in turn should act like that and take that, this message of reconciliation and pass it to others. Permit the love of God to control you. Live in light of Christ's sacrifice. Regard no one according to the flesh. Make sure you're looking and seeing everyone in accordance with the spirit and be all about forgiveness. Look at verse 20. Therefore, 
We are to be ambassadors for Christ. It's God making his appeal through us. And so, therefore, we implore you, Paul says, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are called to be ambassadors of his love and forgiveness and reconciliation. I want to leave you with a word and then a prayer, okay? Sometimes we're tempted to think that I can mess my way out of the love of Christ. Listen to this. Romans chapter 8. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who what? Loved us. For I am sure, Paul says, that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. When he determines you are his, you are his forever. When he determines you are his, he pours his love out on you with such lavishness. And that should be us. Once you're in, you're never out. Praise God. I'm going to pray Ephesians chapter 3 over us today. And I pray um, that as you hear this, that you would be encouraged by it. Pray that you would find peace in it. So let's pray. Father, we come before you now in this moment. So I join with Paul in saying this. For, for, for this reason now, Lord, we bow our knees before you, our Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your name. That according to the riches of your glory, we ask, Lord, that you would grant to us the strength with power through your spirit in our inner being. Strengthen us, Lord, so that you, Lord Jesus, would dwell in our hearts through faith. And that with the strength that you have granted to us by your spirit in us and through the cross, that each one of us would recognize that we, because of you, are rooted and grounded in your love. And Lord, strengthen us to be able to comprehend with each other and with all of the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That we each would be filled with all the fullness of God. And so we say now, Lord, to you who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think according to your power that is at work within us. To you, Lord, be the glory in our church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations and forever and ever. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.